You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bo's Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where we're having clusters of earthquakes off the coast here, uh, you know, kind of waiting to find out if it's actually going to cause, you know, if it's just relieving some pressure and it won't cause the, the, the Cascadia subduction zone fracture or if it's actually a lead up to the Cascadia subduction zone fracture, you know, I'm hearing theories about both, you know, that maybe it's a good thing we're having all these little earthquakes because it's taking some pressure off versus it might actually loosen up the, the fault and we'll have the big one here. So we're all waiting because <laughs> if we do get the big one, we're, you know, it's going to, that's going to impact the Pacific Northwest for, you know, years and it's going to impact the u.s economy for years believe it or not um uh, yeah want to scare yourself to death read some of the background on the cascadia subduction zone and 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 the potential impacts to our electric grid water and sewer and transportation systems in the pacific northwest um yeah it's the stuff that makes nightmares but enough about the Cascadia Subduction Zone. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show. 646-721-9887. And just press one so we know you want to get on the conversation because we do have people that call just to listen. Again, 646-721-9887 and press one. And that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to talk on the Bose Nose Show because we'll talk about what you want to talk about. If not, we talk about what Jay wants to talk about. And Jay's got a whole list today. I don't know if we'll get through all of it or not, but we've got to start out with COVID-19 again. It just seems to keep coming up over and over again on the show. And, you know, I threw a little little play on uh, Night Before Christmas at the start of my promo for the show. But Oregon is getting ready to write a permanent mask mandate rule. And, of course, the people writing it are like, oh, well, permanent doesn't mean permanent. And it's like, um, I, that, I, I, what? <laughs> I, I, that one, just, you know, it was almost like, you know, transitory means permanent, really. You know, when it comes to inflation, now – Mandates that are permanent are transitory. <laughs> These two words seem to be like, I don't know. Is there something about having a D behind your name that means you can't def- use the correct words in the dictionary? Oh, gosh. But as Oregon is is 
you know, one of five states that has a has a mask indoor mask mandate. Now, mind you, I still encourage people that masking is one of a range of things you can do to reduce transmission uh, for COVID-19. Washing your hands, you know, staying home if you're sick, <laughs> staying six feet apart, you know, all those things that we, we hear about. It's just, you know, it's one of those layers of protection that you can add to it. But is it really needing to be mandated at this point? I mean, the people that are concerned about, you know, that are at risk, you know, almost all of them are now fully vaccinated um, or they've had COVID and have natural immunity, which was something that we don't seem to want to count in this country. Um, but so there's such a high level of now some immunity built into our, our and, and particularly with our high risk people, because COVID really is a disease that has disproportional impact based on age, uh, body mass index, uh, pre-existing conditions like, you know, um, diabetes and a few others. Uh, so it, it definitely is not an equal opportunity killer um, and an equal opportunity disease as far as severity goes. Those people that are, you know, at high risk, maybe they still need to be wearing masks. Maybe they need to still be separating themselves more. Maybe they need to be keeping their circle of friends small and not, you know, going to restaurants and bars and big crowds. But there's a whole bunch of people that aren't so high risk that could be getting back more to normal lives now. And, and it just it's amazing that we're thinking about this permanent mask mandate at this time. Um, you know, before we and what's what's funny about it is it seems to be coming on because people started asking questions about what's the metric when we can stop wearing masks. Well, the answer to that from the Oregon government was, you know what? You're never going to stop wearing masks. <laughs> We're going to make it permanent. There is no metric. And, and it just makes me shake my head. While at the same time, Governor Karen Brown, and yes, I, I use Karen on purpose because, you know, just like in the ads, she seems to want everybody to obey the rules to the letter. That mailbox is just two inches too high. Get out the chainsaw. <laughs> Karen. Um, Governor Karen, though, was photographed at a D.C. fundraiser not wearing masks. And she first tried to play it off as well. I only did that during photographs and while I was eating. Other times I was wearing a mask. But then more photographs surfaced of her sitting around with no food anywhere near her, not getting photographed. They're casual photographs of her just talking to people with no mask on and within six feet of those people. Indoors. So apparently what's okay for the governor is not okay for the rest of Oregonians. For some reason, flying to Washington, D.C. makes COVID less transmissible than being in Portland or Eugene or Medford. What's wrong with this picture? Is it really about preventing COVID transmission or is it about making people used to government control of their personal freedoms? 
and not allowing people to make their own decisions. I've always encouraged us to to not get into mandates, not to get into prohibitions, because consenting adults ought to be able to make their own decisions about risk. I mean, good Lord, if we're going to make people wear masks with a slight chance they might get COVID and a slight chance they might die if they're not one of those at-risk populations, what else are we going to start preventing people from doing or requiring them to do? Are we going to stop people from riding horses because they might fall off and break their neck? No more horseback riding in this state. Motorcycles? Whoa, we're going to have to start limiting motorcycles because, man, those things are dangerous. Uh, yeah, and you get hurt riding even a bicycle. You know, skateboarding, oh, my God, we need to eliminate skateboards. You might hurt yourself. How far should the government go in protecting people and not allowing them to make their own risk decisions? But if you're the governor, you're allowed to make risk decisions. You can go to a fundraiser in Washington, D.C., which, by the way, how many times has she flown out of state to raise money for her? And I, I don't know. I'm kind of wondering what she was raising money for because she can't run for governor again. I mean, oh, well. Um, but that, that's beside the point. But she can make that decision. She has the power to decide when she's at risk or not of getting COVID and when she should wear a mask or not, or when she might be at risk of transmitting COVID to somebody. But you Oregonians, you peons, you're not allowed to make that decision. Government knows best. We're going to tell you what to do, and it's going to be permanent. But, of course, we're going to tell you that permanent doesn't mean permanent. Redefining words. Isn't there a novel when they talked about making words mean what they don't really mean? 1984 or Animal Farm, one one of those novels? I don't know. It just amazes me. But, you know, it, it's it's interesting, at least what we're starting to see is at least in the federal court system, we're finally seeing the courts go, you know what? You just can't do some of what you're trying to do from the executive position. And, you know, our courts here in Oregon are so stacked with appointees that were appointed by governors that they owe their their seats on the, you know, Supreme Court of Oregon to a governor and and, uh, quite a few of them to this particular governor, that they won't rule against, you know, anything from ridiculous redistricting maps to um, mandates that are blatantly unconstitutional under Oregon law. And the executive doesn't have the power to legislate but the, at least the federal courts are going, you know what, President Biden, you can't mandate vaccines. That should come out of, that should, you can't make law. The executive branch is prohibited in our Constitution from making law. That's reserved power of the legislature. And even then, they got to be careful. 
about crossing over, you know, states' rights and personal freedoms. But, you know, uh, time and time again now, a lot of his, his vaccine mandates, whether it's for government contractors, government employees, or private business, are being held up now by the courts because they're saying, you know what, there's enough here to think that you're probably going to lose, that we're going to put an injunction in place, and you cannot move forward with that mandate at this time. So thank goodness for our federal court system. Only wish Oregon's court system weren't so damn corrupt. I mean, oh my gosh, the reasoning behind why they wouldn't intervene on the redistricting maps that were so blatantly gerrymandered. I mean, <laughs> ask one of the local Democrats that made the mistake of stepping out of line with his party about, about you know, Marty Wieldy, about how blatantly gerrymandered those maps are. Having that one safe Republican district come in with just a little teeny finger that sticks far enough into Eugene to take Marty Wildey's house into it. (laughs) Can I think maybe that the legislature was, you know, the the leaders of the legislature were were punishing Marty (laughs) Wildey? Do you think that that district makes any sense? But our courts basically said, oh, they're fine. Nothing to see here. Yeah, speaking of redistricting, this happened shortly after last week's show. Board of Commissioners completely ignored a majority sentiment, and I don't mean a majority by 51%, I mean 80 to 90% of the public comments, written and verbal, were in support of Map C, but they chose to adopt Map J, which it anybody looks at that on paper, it's blatantly gerrymandered. Look at the shape of the North Eugene Commissioner's District. It looks like some kind of V-shaped sort of butterfly thing. There's this little neck that connects two big pieces, you know, around it and has this huge V-shape cut out of it. You know, why'd they do that? Well, I don't, you know, not trying to say anything, but it just turns out that they made Heather Buck and Joe Bernie's districts more Democrat. They made my district significantly more Democrat. Nothing to see here. In the meantime, there was you know leaders from the, the, the local Democrat Party on the redistricting committee. There was a union leader from our largest public employee union at, for Lane County employees, who, by the way, was the largest single donor to both Heather Buck and Joe Bernie's election campaigns, <laughs> was on the redistricting committee, along with their paid political consultant and his wife as an alternate. Nothing to see here. So, yep, ignore public, you know, you know the majority public sentiment out there and just plow on ahead with the way you want to do things because that's the Oregon way because the ends justify the means when you're a collectivist. You know, there's no doubt that the progressive majority on our current board of commissioners, Buck, Bernie, and and Trigger, are collectivists. Just look at how they voted over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, let me take a deep breath 
getting myself worked up. You know, it, it's just amazing that we we have the situation we have in Oregon. And Robin and I were having a conversation before the show about what's wrong with Oregon because Rick Dancer put a post up, you know, said basically what are the two biggest things wrong with Oregon right now or two biggest problems, that, you know. That my first question would have been only two. <laughs> so I tried to figure out how can I list two things that cover just about everything that's wrong with Oregon right now. And my answer to that question was, number one, the use of government to limit individual and market freedom. And you think about that, and there's just, I could give you example after example, how Oregon has time and time again limited individual and market freedoms. From our statewide rent control bill that hurts our market to the corporate activities tax to you know other market issues they put in place to our land use system that's completely anti-free market to some of the individual freedoms that are being stomped on through vaccine and mask mandates. You know, time and time again, you can look at that. And yet, at the same time, my number two thing was that the same people that are doing that limitation of freedoms want to use more government to fix the problems created by limiting those freedoms. Think about the fact that our land use system has so restricted our housing markets that that rents and everything are going out of control. So they stepped in with more government and put in statewide rent controls, which limited the annual increase in rent to a, like a certain inflation rate, which tends to be right around 9 to 10% each year that they allow. And sure enough, you know what's happening now? Every landlord's raising their rent annually by that percentage because they're not sure sometime when the actual cost of them providing those rentals is going to be jumping more than that. They're trying to get ahead of the game. So this limitation created by our land use system on our housing stock is now being restricted by more government controls with that that um, rent control. And in the meantime, investment in multifamily housing in Oregon's dropping. Well, that was the rent control that's causing that because it was a limitation on the free market and the ability for people to make sure that they were actually going to get a positive return if they invested in that. So what comes along? Now we have all sorts of eviction moratoriums. Well, it was all supposed to be a COVID response, but you know that they really just don't want to have people get evicted because those people should just be allowed to live in their spaces forever. We keep creating problems with government actions and then trying to use government to fix the problems we created with government actions. We're going to shut down businesses and, and say you can't have, you know, limit capacity of restaurants and shut down gyms and everything else and just basically blow our economy to smithereens with our COVID restrictions. And then we're going to use all sorts of government interventions to try and fix the problems. Now, mind you, those interventions required printing trillions of dollars of cash by the federal government 
and now suddenly there's this issue of inflation. <laughs> oh my God, we have to keep the eviction moratoriums in place because everything's going up. <laughs> we need more government. No, we don't. I was at Fred Myers the other day. And and I've been several times since. And every day in the last couple of weeks that I've stopped into Fred Myers or for that matter, just about any other store that has a pharmacy around town, the line for the pharmacy is a, a mile long. <laughs> I think people are starting to bring camp chairs to wait to get their prescriptions filled. Oh my gosh. Why is that happening? <laughs> Can you say corporate activities tax and the closure of the Bymark pharmacies and suddenly everybody trying to, to move over to other pharmacies, flooding those pharmacies with new customers, and all those new customers now have to get the doctors to call in to verify that those, that prescription can be refilled, et cetera. It's causing a mess. Government action, let's put in a corporate activities tax. Oh, and by the way, just don't mind the fact that, that the actual revenues for the state of Oregon have been growing at record paces over the last several years, and that was such a needed tax. But we had to make sure those evil corporations are paying their fair share. Last time I checked, there was no unnamed corporation that writes a check to the state of Oregon. It's the customers. It's the shareholders. It's the employees that pay those corporate taxes. So I just have yeah, good question, Rick Dancer. <laughs> Tried to answer it in the broadest possible way so it would include all the other issues. Uh, and I got to spend my lunch today with the uh, Eugene City Council as well as our, our Lane County Board of Commissioners. So it was, you know, progressives times two and uh the topic was our response to homelessness and how we're doing with our homeless and housing initiatives here in lane county and eugene and it just always amazes me the disconnect people have um in some of our policies and how they're creating some of the problems we have and then they 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 don't the solutions they're trying to provide aren't dealing with why the problem's getting more bad. And we all know that one of the major things driving homelessness in this country and in this state is not so much the cost of housing. That's a small piece. The majority of the folks that are homeless are mentally ill or addicted and abusing substances of some kind. Now, mind you, quite often the mentally ill turn to substance abuse as, as self-treatment in some ways, or the substance abuse deteriorates the person's brain so badly they end up mentally ill, which is true more often than not, and particularly when it comes to methamphetamine. And in fact, one of the things that's happening in this country is the meth that's on the market today is not the same meth that was on the market 10 years ago. They've changed the process in the in the mega labs and, and the cartels run in Mexico. 
and the precursors they're starting to use are not the plant-based ephedrine chemical. And the methods being made from it drives people into psychosis faster than the old meth. So what are the policies now in Oregon? Well, we've decriminalized possession of, of user amounts of meth. We've decriminalized a lot of property crimes to where they're now misdemeanors and not felonies. So these folks that are stealing and doing petty theft to support their drug addictions in Oregon are pushing themselves towards psychosis and long-term you know, personality disorders and problems that cause them to not be able to live in group situations or, you know, <laughs> be reasonable tenants, why they end up homeless half the time. Um, and it just gets to be a problem. So it just amazes me that that isn't considered and people just let that go. So I see, I'm going to interrupt myself here for a minute because I see we've got a caller on the line. Um, we'll bring Joe on the line. Joe, you have a question or comment? I want to take the, the conversation in a different direction. No, I got here because I saw the headline on uh, mask mandates. Oh, yeah. Jesus, I got a verb. I got an echo. Is that me? Uh, that's I'm not sure where you're getting the echo, but I can, I'm hearing you just fine on this end. Oh, I am? Okay. So uh, all of a sudden it's gone. Okay, good. So I saw the headline, like I said, about mask mandates permanent. Is it your conclusion that they are? What the rule that OSHA, Oregon's you know, Occupational Safety and, and Health Administration, is writing up is a permanent rule. Uh, that, no. I, yeah. Okay. You, you don't think that, so? Yeah, that, that that's what they've advertised it as is they're writing a permanent rule because the the, the temporary mandates are are timing out to a certain degree. So they're writing up a permanent rule. Okay. So since I just got here, maybe you can uh, thumbnail it for me. What's your conclusion about that? Do you think it's a good thing, a bad thing? Do you think the government's in control of this? Do you think other outside forces are? Because, uh, well, let me ask you this. If you think that the mandates are bad and are not beneficial for America, what would your solution be? So understanding that this mandate's being written um, to basically businesses, and the businesses are the ones that get fined, um, it puts the businesses in a position of trying to control people's behavior and particularly customers, um, which is a bad situation. There's been plenty of conflicts just in that arena in itself, uh, employees being hurt, uh, things like that. So the mandate in itself is, is, is problematic. Um, masks in, in themselves um, are only partially effective at all in preventing transmission. It's like I've said in my write-up, it's one piece of a multi-layered approach to, to trying to decrease transmissions. But it also has to be viewed in the light of we are now in a situation where we're, we're going past pandemic into endemic COVID. And to expect 
people to constantly wear masks that are a fairly ineffective method of preventing transmission when most people are vaccinated or have natural immunity is, is not a healthy thing. And in fact, we're starting to see lots of studies showing that our youth are having extreme psychological impacts from mask wearing um, and, and extreme psychological impacts from the fear mongering that's gone around about COVID. We have to be careful about what we do when it comes to the public health side of things. And I think the harm being done by the mandate is worse than, you know, lifting them. People can still wear masks. There's nothing that prevents anybody from continuing to wear a mask or an employer requiring their employees to wear masks um, or even their customers. It's the government mandate to those employees employers and employees and the customers. All right. So do you object to the government? Do you object to the government forcing people to do this? Because right now the mandates are not a law. So they're illegally imposing that upon us. So is it um, your contention that they are doing something wrong? But yes, if businesses decided to do. Okay. Yeah. And in fact, when you look at Oregon, I can go and point to the emergency powers that the government was granted, the governor's granted, and she's far exceeded those emergency powers as established in statute under our constitution. The only problem is our courts here are so corrupt and under the control of her party, they won't rule against her. Right. So do you have any particular solution to this? Uh, My solution is they should be lifting the mandates. Um, and, and going into trying to transition from a pandemic emergency response to an endemic long-term response. You know, we have long-term response to all sorts of communicable diseases that we're trying to maintain control of in this country and across this state. As a, as a, as a commissioner, I'm also on the Board of Health and have been managing other you know, communicable diseases as part of that Board of Health, like sexually transmitted diseases, um, you know, mm-hmm. other, other, other diseases. We don't, <laughs> we don't mandate, you know, a lot of stuff around that, but we do try and encourage people to, you know, to, to do things to prevent the transmission. And that's where we need to move into is an educational prevention strategy and, and, and get away from mandating uh, prevention strategies. Okay. Well, okay. Well, thanks, Jay. I got your answer. So I'm going, I'm going to let you get back to your show. Okay? All right. Take Thanks care for now. calling, Joe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So Joe took us one direction, and it looks like we have Hiran on the line that wants to take us in a, in a different direction maybe. Hiran, what, what do you want to talk about? I don't know. Are you talking to me? Yes, I am. Oh, thank you. I agree with what you said on the mandates very much so. Uh, Jay, a little while ago you asked if you could sum up in one word what was wrong with the state of Oregon. And I really firmly believe that if somebody investigates and really looks into Agenda 21, they will nail everything that is happening in our state, as well as understanding that it's coming out of the United Nations. So I really think Agenda 2130 is really playing a major part in everything we see happening around our town. I won't go into a lot of details on that. I just wanted to mention that because you asked about that. 
The other thing I'd like to ask, you are, you often recommend that people get shots, and I presume that you've looked into this thoroughly before making these recommendations. But I'm wondering, have you listened to people, these people, Dr. Kerry Madej, Dr. David Martin, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Lee Merritt, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, and recent, most recently, Karen Kingston talking about the vaccine and COVID? I can't say that I have, but I've read um, multiple reports uh, and the VAERS information, uh, and I do understand that not every adverse reaction is reported, so that you can multiply the, the VAERS stuff by some factor. Um, it, it's, it's a risk assessment, you know, and for, for me personally, I'm almost six, I'm going to be 64 in about another week and a half here. Um, you know, I'm at an age where I have a higher risk than a lot of the population. The adverse, re and I, I also have not had adverse reactions to other vaccines um, in the past. I don't have a lot, I don't have any allergies um, personally, um, but my wife also is kind of of my age and suffers from pretty um, severe asthma and is even higher risk than I am because of that. So um, our choice was to get vaccinated because we felt uh, that that risk, that risk balance was there um, because there definitely is a, you know, a much higher risk by age. And if you have complicating, um, you know, pre-existing conditions. So that's the way, you know, I've went about that decision. I encourage everybody else to do the same thing. Look well, at your I risk factors. I, would, I understand what you're saying. I know the age group is even higher than you are, and I am very concerned about this. But I have listened to these other doctors speak about this subject and about how dangerous these vaccines actually are, things that are inside of these vaccines that are causing health damages. I recently saw a report today about four servicemen that went out to get vaccinated, and after a short period of time, three of them actually died. We don't hear about that in our news because our news is propaganda. So the information that I'm finding, because I'm looking for it, researching it myself, I find is totally opposed to what is going on right now in getting people to be vaccinated. Anyway, I was just yeah. wondering where you got your information. I'd like you to encourage you to look elsewhere for the information. And I thank you very much uh, for your show. All right. Thank you for calling in. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, yeah, it's always a good question, you know, where you get your information. And I, I spend so much time reading information. And I also spend time talking with people that are pretty well educated. Um, I come from a very medical family. <laughs> My grandfather was a researcher when NIH was founded, you know, started working for NIH and actually researched tropical diseases through World War II as an immunologist. So, you know, I've got kind of that background of... <laughs> And he did immunology before they had electron microscopes and stuff and really understood viruses. Um, and so he even had a couple of the serious tropical diseases and survived them that he was working on. Um, and if you go, you know, there's actually tests that are named after him uh, in, in Merck's manual. Mom's pharmacist. Sisters, a doc, you know, all that stuff. It, it, it's just in my family. So I speak to a lot of medical people. I also um, 
speak to people that are pretty highly educated and our public health doctor in Lane County we're fortunate to have has done a lot of that immunology and virology work in his past and is now our, our chief medical medical doctor for public health, Patrick Ludke. Um, and he's a reasonable person to talk to. He does just like I do recognize there are risks with the vaccine. Where you decide personally where the risk of the vaccine or more than the risk of the disease is a personal decision. And I would encourage people just to, to get out there and do their own research. Um, just as the caller said, listen to other docs. I've, and I've spoken to plenty and I've read a lot. I can't tell you how many times people email me links to stuff, of course, but if you email me a link to a video, if it's more than about 30 seconds, I don't have time to watch a two hour video. <laughs> necessarily because I have to stay read up on things coming before the Board of Commissioners. And I apologize for that. Yeah, definitely um, have to, uh, you know, do your research and make those decisions um, for yourself uh, around vaccination. Those young servicemen, probably in very good physical health, low body mass index, young, maybe not have been a good decision to get vaccinated. You know, uh, if you're overweight and over 65, you you just might want to get vaccinated. Um, But it's going to be interesting because this Omicron, you know, variant that's now out there, is looking, at least in the initial phases, like it's a progression of the virus genetically as it's trying to survive in the human population to where it's getting less severe but more transmissive, which is a tendency for pathogens to do in the population they infect. If they're too severe, they don't survive in that population (laughs) for very long. They burn out. Just like the hemorrhagic fevers that we see coming out of Africa, they usually don't go very far because they're so deadly that they kill off their host before they have a chance to transmit, and they're difficult, and they haven't become airborne. They're usually bloodborne by contact or fluid-borne, where it's got to be direct contact with that fluid of the person that's infected. They they, They usually have small, very deadly outbreaks. That don't get very far. Yet you see, it, you know, the common cold travel around the world, go all over the place because it's not killing people and it's real transmissible. Oh, by the way, coronavirus, common cold, same thing. That's what makes COVID scary. We get, you know, we don't have a cure for the common cold because the coronavirus mutates so easily and so difficult to develop something that prevents its transmission and, and, and impacts. Until recently, that technology hasn't been around, and that's why some people are kind of scared about the vaccine because it is new technology. I acknowledge that. But for me personally, I did my research. I made my decision. You know, just as much as I would get a tetanus shot, you know, uh, tetanus boosters because I – 
don't want to get tetanus. <laughs> There's a risk there. You just don't want to go, go through. Um, you know, it's why I get my animals vaccinated for rabies. I don't want them to be, be you know, suffer rabies and have to be put down. The chance of them actually being exposed, it's not very great. But the, if they do get exposed, it's, you know, 100% fatal just about for a dog or a cat. That's what you have to weigh. So moving on a little bit, I wanted to get to another topic. And I was starting to talk about homelessness a bit, and, and I'm going to move away from that. But it just that fit the topic of of people wanting government to solve problems government's caused. But my biggest issue with that was the one thing that didn't, that other than Councilor Mike Clark and myself and possibly uh, City Councilor Randy Groves, aren't recognizing the fact that how much we need to start intervening in the, with the homeless people that are on drugs early in their addictions. And the fact that we're, we're a lot of our, our proposed solutions to homelessness are allowing them to remain addicted and, and, and quote, wet bed solutions and all that aren't helping these people. Every day they remain dependent on some substance that's addictive like that is another day further into the psychosis those substances create and a much more difficult climb to be functional and possibly permanent damage to the point where they will never be functional independently in society and always have to live in some kind of group setting, highly monitored with a lot of cost from society to keep them safe from themselves and the rest of society safe from them. And that, and that, that was, you know, some of my point about that is it just seems that lack of recognition and and we just want to throw more money safe sleep sites and, and, you know, putting people up in hotels and, and without any connection to you're going to get off of those drugs, you're going to stop committing crimes. Accountability, part of it, and early intervention. We're doing these people such disservice by allowing them to continue on the path of addiction for any length of time. But I want to move past all that and talk a little bit about climate action plans, because yesterday, and this is, you know, more more government solutions that are going to create problems that eventually they're going to want more government to, to solve the problems this, this plan is going to create and really isn't going to do a whole lot to fix anything because when you get right down to it, their highest impact action in the plan would save less than 15 million metric tons of CO2 emissions through 2040, cumulatively. A single wildfire can emit 15 million metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent in a single fire event, single wildfire. So over the next 19 years, this plan is going to save you know, that one one aspect, which is they want to try and get everybody into electric vehicles is the strategy, convert the entire, 
you know, vehicle fleet out there in Lane County um, for passenger vehicles, that is, to, to electric. Mind you, the fact that most people are going to come home from work and plug in their cars during the evening peak hour on the grid, causing a bigger problem with peaking issues on the grid and destabilization of the electric grid. But let's ignore all that because that'll be another problem, which, by the way, one of the things that they support in this plan is time of day rate pricing for electricity and um you know, that sort of metering for time of day metering. So hold on to your wallets. <laughs> and mind you, who does that generally hurt the worst? Because it's going to increase the power bills for people that use power during those peak times. Is it the is it the rich person that can alter their schedule and change or can just afford a higher electric bill? and change their ability to, to use electricity at various times a day and, and flex their schedules and, and whatever else? Or is it the lower income people that are, you know, they're working in a, a nine to five job, they can't do their laundry or, or you know, run their, wash, their dishwasher off hours or whatever it is that we would have to do to try and prevent that. They can't charge their cars, you know, off peak. They need to charge them when they get home if they're going to have an electric climate action plan that's coming out of Lane County. People need to be paying attention because some of the things it calls for are things like no new natural gas for any homes or businesses. I don't know about you, but I've worked my way through college and restaurants. Managed them, cooked in them, waited tables, bus tables, did the whole you know, from bottom all the way up. Not a single restaurant I worked in had electric appliances back in the, in the kitchen. They're all gas. If you build a new restaurant, if they, if they get their way with this climate action plan, you're not going to be able to have gas in that kitchen. Good luck cooking on that commercial scale with electric. It's not easy. <laughs> Uh, I think Robin wants to jump in here because I, I, I just know she's got something to say about electric vehicles. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm also just laughing about the natural gas kitchens and thinking about burritos. Yeah. Hey, by the way, one of the restaurants I manage was a Mexican restaurant. So I've rolled my share of burritos for a lifetime. <laughs> well, one thing I was thinking of is, is for electric vehicles is convenience. Because unless they have a thing that, you know, you drive up into the driveway, assuming that you have a driveway and can do wireless charging, if it's 30 degrees outside, snowing or pouring down rain, when you get home, you're just going to want to run inside. You're not going to run run that extension cord out to plug your vehicle in. And then if you forget, it's like, hello, boss, I forgot to charge my car last night. Can't come to work. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, speaking of snow and stuff like that, how many times? Yeah, it happened to me more because I'm an East Coaster, and 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 being around D.C., where people just lose their mind every time it snows. Um, I've sat in traffic during a snowstorm, you know, in the evening rush hour where the snow started during the day, or even in the morning trying to get to work for hours and hours, 
with my engine idling. Sometimes turning it off and on, just trying to save a little gas here and there, but turning it on so I could heat the car back up. Now imagine if all those cars, you know, instead of having gasoline in them, were batteries. Now, mind you, battery performance drops with temperature. Yeah. Physics. Yeah, that's physics. And, you know, I can probably idle my car on a, on a quarter tank of gas for hours and not have to run out of gas. But I guarantee you, you're not going to run the heat in a car off your battery system and do stop-and-go traffic for hours in a snowstorm. Eventually, cars are going to start dying as their batteries die on that highway. Now, if you're in that snowstorm and you run out of gas, someone can come and bring you a gallon of gas, you pour it in your tank, and you could drive off the nearest you know, highway ramp, and you're out of the way for the snow plows. Now, mind you, say half the cars out there in that traffic jam are electric and start running out of battery. How do they get you going again without actually towing your car with a tow truck, which there's a limited supply of those? So what do they do? They bring a generator around and start charging cars. Now, it takes time to charge a battery. <laughs> in the meantime, it's still snowing, and the road's getting more snow on it. The plows can't plow because of the stalled electric vehicles. Just imagine. Is that that gas pickup towing a diesel generator to charge the electric car? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's another there's another thing to keep in mind too. Speaking of physics, you know, replacing the batteries on those things, you know, thousands of dollars. And what happens to batteries as they age? They start losing capacity. And I haven't met a battery yet that hasn't done that. The only reason electric cars are remotely affordable right now is most of them are subsidized with tax credits, et cetera. They're amazingly expensive on the front end because the battery systems are so expensive and the whole electric systems are expensive. Without those government subsidies, which, by the way, we're borrowing the money from the Chinese to pay for, which is one of the reasons why inflation is not temporary. It's permanent right now. (laughs) Yeah. It's all a circle. (laughs) Yet. So, you know, we're going to require people to start buying electric vehicles at a higher expense. And it's going to be driving inflation, which means the poor people are going to start falling off the the end of the chart, which means we're going to want to do more, you know, food programs and housing programs and everything else, which is going to require more government. You, You see this circle that keeps going around? That problem that was created by a government policy trying to be solved by another government policy, creating more problems that need to be solved with another government policy. Yeah, and you forgot one. As cars get better mileage, what happened to the road tax? Oh, well, that's why they want to do, you know, the, put the mileage little, you know, your, 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 your big government, you know, you know track you everywhere. Um, mileage uh, reader so they can keep track of how many miles you're driving in the state so they can tax you on a per mile basis. You know, that, that that's, you know, yeah. Big brother is here. And, and the need for big brother is because problems they've created in other places. <laughs> exactly. Yes, we're going to monitor everything you do. I want to throw out another quick point, Rob, um, then 
get you back to it. When you have a public testimony, you know, the Board of Commissions, how, what's the length of time, or is there a length of time that, in, that somebody can testify? The normal limit is three minutes. Three minutes. And the normal length of time that somebody can talk to our local commissioner on this program? Hey, if they got on, they can talk for as long as they want. I mean, I don't know how long those two calls we just had were, but, you know, they were probably longer than three minutes. Yeah, I was just throwing that out there as a little promo. And <laughs> yeah, 646-721-9887, and you can spend more than three minutes with your Lane County Commissioner right here on the Bo's Nose Show. And, and we can talk about why I don't like mandates, uh, mask mandates, and why I actually support people having the choice to make their own risk decisions, whether it's to get the vaccine or not, or whether it's to wear a mask or not. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, but, you know, we just finished having the 80th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. And, and think about what we fought against in World War II and how this country came together and fought this mass, you know, did this massive effort to repel the forces of dictatorial fascism and nationalistic fascism from Mussolini to Hitler to Hirohito. And we managed to fight for freedom 80 years ago. And there were even some of the you know, survivors of Pearl Harbor that got to Pearl Harbor, 101 years old, 99 years old. These you know, we're, we've lost a lot of our veterans from World War II. Yet today, we have people in government that want to tell you what you're allowed to say, that you have to wear a mask, that you have to get a medical procedure, that you have to prove you've had a medical procedure in order to do something, you know, that you have to get a test before you can get on an airplane. My God, what do those World War II veterans think of our society today? They must be in despair, and the, and the ones that have passed are probably rolling over in their graves. They fought against tyranny. Our government and, and our citizens have been programmed over time for that. And yes, it leads back to things like Agenda 21, but Agenda 21 stems from other efforts. They've been slowly training us, and they infiltrated education first to do so. And if folks think CRT is bad, it, that was this is just the end game now. They've been slowly programming your children over time in public schools and colleges to accept this kind of intervention by government and to not leave decisions up to consenting adults to, to assess risk and decide what levels of risk they're willing to expose themselves to and to exercise their freedoms, both economically and individually. We need to stop asking the government to be the be all end all and help us you know, have a foam rubber world where nobody can get hurt. I'm sorry, there's risk in life. Everybody dies eventually. <laughs> Death and taxes, only sure things. The question is, is are you going to live that life 
as a free sovereign individual? Or are you going to give away all that sovereignty over to your government because it makes you feel just a little bit safer? When in reality, a lot of what you're asking the government to do doesn't even make you safer and in fact puts you at higher risk. So, rant for the day on the Bose Nose Show. Government controlling and limiting our freedoms is causing problems that they then propose to use more government to cure, which always is another form of limiting our freedoms and just creates more problems. Ask yourself every time you hear a politician propose something, are they trying to limit my freedom? And is whatever they're proposing going to create a problem that later on they're going to they're going to say we need more? And more usually means your taxes. And eventually that does things like close pharmacies down in Bymarks and makes you stand in a two-hour line in a Fred Meyer trying to transfer your your prescriptions. Ah, yes. But I wax poetic here on the Bose Nose Show. Maybe we can get back to just making fun of the COVID variants. On Delta, on Lambda and Mu, now Omicron, mask away, mask away all. Ah, yes. I need to go have an adult beverage that I'm allowed to make the choice to have. Although if I ever got addicted and started causing problems for society, I would expect people to intervene early in that problem for me and not let me continue to harm others and affect others' quality of life and their rights. My freedom to, to abuse myself and abuse substances ends at the point I start impacting others' rights. And with that, we'll move on and say we'll be back next week for another edition of the Bose Nose Show with your host, Jay Bozovich, Westland County Commissioner, coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. See you next week at 4 o'clock Pacific. Have a great week.